Exodus 16, starting in verse 1. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us into the wilderness to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, <clears throat> At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meats to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the, on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall eat, you shall each take an omer, according to the number of persons that each of you has in, the, in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each, of, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. 
Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like a coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. The word of the Lord. Thank you so much for uh, reading for us, Stephen. Uh, please do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be... Uh, can be diving into it together. Um, originally, we were going to be uh, conducting this uh, installation service uh, earlier in, in uh, January. My text was going to be, I'd lined it up perfectly. It was going to be John chapter 10, the Good Shepherd. It all fits so well. Um, and yet, hopefully, we'll see that um, what the Lord wanted us to hear was this, this, uh, this call to daily rely on him and his grace. But let's uh, turn to him now and ask for his grace to understand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much um, for your word. Uh, thank you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. And so, Lord, we pray that you would feed us with your word today, help us to understand it, help us to believe it, and help us to live in light of it. And we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Well, I wonder if there are ever times when the sermon passage is, is really what you needed to hear. Sometimes the Lord kind of lines that up. Uh, well, there are also times, uh, in fact, a lot of times when the text is also what really ministers to me um, as the pastor. And I have to say, this has been one of those weeks. Um, this week, um, our building search has been on, our, on my mind. And for those of you that don't know, we're looking for a new place to meet as a congregation. Uh, we have a great team that's working on it. And uh, over the last few months, uh, they have really left no stone unturned. Uh, I have every confidence the Lord will provide. And uh, that said... Uh, if I'm honest, though, I, I would like God to provide something perfect, and I'd like him to provide something much more quickly. And I'm sure you can't possibly identify with that sentiment. But unfortunately, that is not really how life usually works. Uh, whether we're looking for God to provide a building, or if we're looking to God personally to provide healing, or a new job, or meet some financial need, uh, we can find ourselves in a very similar position to the position of Israel, uh, wandering in the wilderness. In the sweltering heat of the day or the cold of the desert nights, it can feel like our needs are not being met. We begin to become desperately hungry, desperately thirsty. And I think in one sense, this uh, very soon will apply to our new elders and deacons. In fact, one of them, and I won't say which one, uh, said this to me. They said, I'm not sure what I'm getting myself into becoming an officer when our church doesn't even have a place to meet. 
Now, what we find in Exodus 16, however, is a huge encouragement, no matter what it is we face, uh, together or or alone. Uh, This chapter reminds us that even though uh, God doesn't do exactly what we want when we want, he can and will provide for us in the midst of the wilderness. As I said last week, Israel's wilderness wandering really does provide a, a sort of a map of where we're at in the Christian life. Now, Paul even tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that these things are written down as an example. Uh, Just as uh, God had saved them from Pharaoh in the past, he has saved us from sin. And just as he uh, had promised them a a land in the future, they were awaiting this promised land. Uh, We too have a new heavens and a new earth to look forward to. And yet, where are we right now? Well, we're wandering through the wilderness of this world. Uh, We need to acknowledge that this is not our permanent home. And so we need God's help. We need to live by his grace, moment by moment. And and this chapter perfectly captures what that means in practice. Uh, The the chapter exposes the temptations and challenges we face in the wilderness. And at the same time, it reassures us of God's daily generosity towards us. And so we're going to walk through this chapter and we're going to consider three main things. Uh, Firstly, we'll look at Israel's desperate grumbling against God. Desperate grumbling against God. And then secondly, we'll consider daily grace from God. Daily grace from God. And then finally, we'll conclude with a reminder that all of this is designed for good by God. A desperate grumbling against God, uh, leading to daily grace from God, all of which is designed for good by God. Uh, that is what life is like between now and heaven. And so firstly, let's focus on this desperate grumbling against God. In other words, faced with tough circumstances, the people begin to complain. And now I'm sure none of you have any idea at all of what that is like. I mean, for good Christian people like us, this is completely and utterly unrelatable. I'm not sure why they're snickering out there. I'm sure none of us would ever grumble when the going gets tough. And just to be clear, that is a joke. I think we all get this. I mean, can you imagine what this was like? Uh, We're now a month into the wilderness journey. Moses tells us that. Uh, God had miraculously provided uh, water. We saw that last week. And now their food supplies are beginning to run low. Stomachs are beginning to rumble. Uh, The kids are getting a bit hangry. Uh, And look down at verse 2 with me. Look at how they respond. Uh, And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Notice how their present pain firstly leads them to the past. A past, we have to say, that they seem to view with rose-tinted spectacles. Uh, Never mind the fact that Pharaoh had oppressed them and made them enslaved. Uh, He even issued an order to drown all of their sons in the River Nile, if you remember. Uh, But now, in the wilderness, those those are just details. And now all they remember is this. Back in Egypt, the food was so good. I mean, is that really true? They were peasant farmers. I'm not sure they ate so well, no matter what the restaurants tell us about farm-to-table. And so we could say it isn't just desperate grumbling, I think it's also delusional grumbling as well. Uh, But this can be our impulse when things are bad, isn't it? We can look back on the past uh, with great nostalgia. We we recall the glory days. I mean, uh, I think we saw this especially during COVID if you haven't suppressed that memory completely. 
Now, I remember everyone was hankering for normal life. I mean, everyone just said, I wish things could go back to normal. And yet before the pandemic, I, I don't remember anyone being happy and content, do you? <laughs> and yet here are the people wishing God had killed them in Egypt. Uh, sure, that, uh, that seems would it, it would have been better than the empty stomachs they face. And I think this brings a whole new definition to the word hungry, doesn't it? Uh, this isn't just two or three bad apples in the bunch either. I mean, we're told in verse 2 that the whole congregation grumbled. Uh, last week we saw a million voices united together in praise for God at the edge of the Red Sea. Uh, and now we see the same million voices united in, in common grumbling against God. Uh, churches sometimes have praise and prayer nights. Well, can you imagine what the flyers would look like for this one? Uh, West Valley's first annual grumble and grouch breakfast. I mean, I, it might be a great way to draw some people in from the community. Uh, but before we point the finger, we have to grasp the gravity of the problem that these people face. They, they are truly desperate. But one million people in the wilderness without food. Uh, this is just a little bit different than your toddler craving a snack as you're trying to walk the aisles of home goods. Uh, this is a real need. It's a basic need that is not being met. Uh, and, and the shock, therefore, isn't so much the intensity of the people's response. Uh, no, the real shock is this, that the people turn against God rather than turning to God. And I think this has to be the shock whenever we grumble as well. In fact, did you notice Moses drives this point home? Uh, the people are grumbling against him and Aaron, but at the end of verse 8, Moses deflects. Uh, this isn't about us. It's not about me and Aaron at all, he says. Uh, no, the Lord has heard your grumbling, uh, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Uh, we have to say, to some extent, that is true of all grumbling. I mean, in Exodus 16, it, this is quite easy to see. Uh, after all, it wasn't really Moses who led the people out of Egypt. I mean, quite literally, God had brought mighty plagues. He had parted the Red Sea. Uh, he is the one who led them out in the wilderness. I mean, actually, there is a pillar of cloud and fire that is going before them. If anyone is to blame, it is God who has put them in this terrible situation. And while it may be less direct, surely the same is true of our circumstances. God is in control of everything, everything. And so in our heart of hearts, who is really to blame for our difficult circumstances? Oh, we might blame our boss, we might blame our wife, we might blame our kids, or we might blame our parents. But who gave you those things? Who are you really grumbling against? You might not even realize it. You might not even be a Christian. You might not even believe in God. And yet, whenever you grumble, ultimately, you're grumbling against the God who made you, the God who sustains you. All grumbling is grumbling against the God who holds our lives in his hands. Grumbling actually reveals our attitude towards God. It shows that we believe God owes us something better than what he has given. But think for a moment, and, and that just doesn't make sense. I mean, pause and consider Israel's situation. God had shown how much he cared for them. He had brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. As we've already said, he parted the Red Sea. He crushed their enemies in the sea. He provided them with clean, pure water when they were thirsty. And so consider three potential responses to their current hunger and pain. Firstly, this is uh, perhaps the British response. Of course, what they could do is keep calm and carry on. 
This is the British stiff upper lip approach to pain. I mean, uh, this is the option of those who simply tell us when you suffer, just grin and bear it. Uh, but to do that would be to deny their real need. I mean, to take that approach would mean they all die of hunger. And so what about a second response? Well, it's the one they take. They respond by complaining. They start to mumber. Uh, they start to murmur. They start to grumble. Uh, they start to get hot under the collar. Uh, they start to get mad uh, at Moses and Aaron and ultimately mad at God for this situation. And all of us have been there, haven't we? Even though we know this isn't the right response, even though we know this response is unhealthy, even though we know grumbling and complaining are roundly contemned, uh, both in the Old and in the New Testament. And so what about a third approach? Really the logical approach, given what we know. Instead of keeping calm and carrying on, instead of complaining, well, why don't they cry out to God? Why don't they go to him in the midst of trouble and call out to him for his mercy? I mean, hasn't God proved that he cares for them? I mean, he's proved that to Israel in the last 15 chapters. And he certainly proved it to you, not only in your own life and experience, he proved it definitively 2,000 years ago. And when God himself came to earth, when Christ came to suffer for us, when Jesus didn't complain, when he didn't answer back, when he cried out to God. In fact, we read in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Uh, that, of course, is the right response to suffering and pain, to cry out to God. And how much more should we do that? Because Jesus Christ cried out and endured pain and suffering for us. God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so when we're tempted to doubt, when we're tempted to complain, when we're tempted to question God, don't, don't desperately grumble against God. No, cry out to God instead. Now, the apostle Peter tells us, Peter who had experienced plenty of suffering and pain, in 1 Peter 5, 7, he writes, cast all of your anxieties onto him. Why? Because he cares for you. Now, don't let suffering drive you away from God in grumbling. Instead, let it drive you to God for his great mercy. Well, that's well and good, you say. That makes sense for Israel in the wilderness. Maybe you feel like they had it easier than you do. I mean, as I've said, they had this pillar of cloud, this, this pillar of fire. They could see God was with them. It must have been easier for them to trust God because God was with them. Well, really? Is it easier for them to trust God because they can see a cloud in front of them? As Christians, you don't just have God with you. You have God within you. By his Holy Spirit, God dwells in your heart. Uh, he is at work there, as Paul writes in Philippians 2, to will and to act according to his good pleasure. And so it's no surprise that actually in the very next verse, in, in Philippians 2.14, we read this command, do all things without grumbling and complaining. You see, we often feel the weight of that command without the promise, don't we? God is at work. God is with you. God is within you. So, so don't grumble. Don't complain. Instead, turn to God for mercy. Uh, this is the desperate grumbling we see against God, not just in, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 16, but it's the kind of grumbling that we see everywhere. Uh, and yet that is why our second point is such good news. Uh, what is God's response when people grumble against him? Does he smite them? Does he finally give up? Does he lose his patience? I mean, they've been trying his patience so long. Uh, and yet this is the amazing thing about Exodus 16. And so secondly, let's consider daily grace from God. 
daily grace from God. Despite our grumbling, God still provides for us. Even though we complain, we can still depend on God's generous daily provision. I mean, in one sense, we could say this is an unavoidable thing. It's something none of us can deny. It's it's the only thing we can do. Daily dependence is a facet of what it means to be human. Uh, Consider just for a moment the extent to which you depend on other things. Uh, You need air to breathe, uh, water to drink, food to eat, food which mostly other people have farmed and produced for you. Uh, God designed you to be unconscious for a third of the day, uh, by which I mean sleep. Miss any one of those things that I just mentioned, and it leads, uh, I guess it leads to insanity at best and, and, and death at worst, and depending on which one you lack, that death could be more or less slow and painful. Uh, We are like a big sack of needs, all of us, every single one of us. Food, clothing, security, support. Uh, Ultimately, for our very existence itself, we depend on our Creator, God. Uh, And this dependence is a daily thing. We don't just eat once, and then that's enough. Uh, We eat three meals a day. We aim at eight glasses of water. Uh, And so, in a general sense, we need daily grace from God. Uh, But in Exodus 16, we see this daily grace in a special way, don't we? Because people need food, they're hungry, they're hangry. Uh, God meets their need in this special way, a way that that demonstrates their daily reliance on him and his generosity. Uh, Rather than filling their pantries, he gives them daily bread. Look down with me at verse 4. Then God said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, uh, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. And now how this works is further spelled out in verses 13 and following. Maybe it's a familiar story to you. Uh, Firstly, God gives them this this meat feast, uh, an evening of quail that seems to be just for one night. Uh, And then the next morning there is this fine frost-like substance that appears on the ground around them. Uh, They're told to gather up enough for that day, and that day alone, taking one measure for each person. Uh, As the sun comes up, the bread just disappears. Uh, And if they take too much and keep it overnight, well, worms start to grow. The thing starts to stink. They have just enough to eat each day, no more, no less. Uh, I mean, there's an element of trust here, isn't there? Think about this. It's taken you a whole month to work through your supplies, and now here is bread all around you. It must have been tempting to kind of restock the cupboards. I mean, we're going back to COVID, aren't we, and to uh, all the people that kind of... uh, gathered all of those, uh, all the toilet paper or whatever it was. Wouldn't you be tempted just to kind of store up a little bit? But no, only enough for that one day, except for the Sabbath. And, and this takes, it takes even more trust, doesn't it? On the sixth day, they're meant to take twice as much. Uh, but hang on, we know what happens if we keep it overnight. I mean, we've done this. It, it, it's going to breed maggots. But instead, the bread is fine. What is more, if they disobey, they'll go hungry since there is no new bread on the Sabbath. I mean, it's interesting. Various attempts have been made to explain all of this away. Maybe uh, all of this was the secretion of some desert bugs. Doesn't sound very appetizing. Maybe it was some sort of edible fungus. I don't know. Plant-based proteins. Something like that. Uh, The problem is nothing can really explain why there was enough for a million people. And nothing really can explain why it appeared uh, uh, each day uh, except not on the seventh day. Uh, This is clearly a miracle from God. It's his daily provision, his daily grace. 
Uh, This is how he, in his kindness, met the needs of his grumbling and complaining people uh, in a way that pulled them away from the nostalgia of the past, uh, but also in a way that, that, that kept them out of the future, we could say. Uh, it's something that kept them relying on him in the present. Uh, when it comes to food, no planning for the future was allowed, it seemed. This wasn't uh, like uh, Costco during the impending snowstorm, uh, where people clogged the aisles to stock up three months of granola bars, all expecting snowmageddon. And no, one day at a time, what's the point of all this? Uh, well, Paul, I already said, told us this is meant to serve as an example. Uh, but what's an e- what is an example of? Well, it's, it's an example of obedience, isn't it? It's an example of daily reliance on God. And consider how Jesus himself taught us to pray. But we already prayed this way together. Give us this day our daily bread. Surely that has to be a nod back to this chapter. Uh, we ourselves need to learn to daily depend on God. Uh, we need to learn to take life one day at a time. Uh, Yes, one of the threats that we face amid pain is nostalgia, looking to the glory days of the past. But to be sure, another threat is to obsess about the future. Uh, Not the future of God's kingdom, that's a pretty good thing to obsess about, but rather our future in this world, even as we read earlier in in Matthew chapter 6. To look forward and to worry, what am I going to eat? What am I going to wear? What am I going to drink? Uh, How can I make sure my needs are met and and my kids' needs are going to be met, even as I grow older and older? And now some of you are thinking to yourself, but don't we need to plan? I mean, isn't it wise to have life insurance or to save plenty of money for your retirement? Well, Well, yes, it is. I think that is important. Uh, But if that's what you're thinking, I suspect that planning ahead is is not really your problem. In fact, for many of us, the problem is this. We face uh, the pain of the present, and and the way we try to escape it is by trying to control the future. If only we can line things up, the suffering will go away then. I mean, I've met people who build their whole lives on this kind of philosophy. They almost literally kill themselves, working more hours than there are in the day. Why? Well, to put aside as much as possible for retirement. And while they do this, life itself and everyone around them is just drifting away. I mean, they're like the rich fool in Luke chapter 12. If you're not familiar with the story, I encourage you, go and read it later. Basically, this guy stores up a ton of wealth for himself. And then in, in Luke chapter 12, 19, he says to himself, he says, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat and drink and be merry. I mean, this guy is kind of an advertisement for the retirement industry. He seemed like a very wise man, didn't he? I'm sure he would have made the, uh, the Forbes uh, 100. But in verse 20, God said to him, Fool. That's never a word that you want to hear God say about you. In verse 20, God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. In other words, you have no idea what tomorrow will bring. Uh, Sure, it is wise to plan when you can. But you ultimately have absolutely no control over so many things that affect your future. I mean, even with our plans, we still have to trust the Lord to provide for us daily, don't we? Uh, to provide for us physically in terms of food, but also to provide for us spiritually. Uh, that is what we learned about uh, a couple of months ago in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, Jesus does exactly what God does in Exodus 16. He provides miraculous bread for his people in the wilderness. 
But Jesus makes clear it's not about bread. In fact, he tells us this. He said, this is about me. I am the bread of life. I am the one you need to be sustained, to live uh, from God. I am the true bread that comes down from heaven. I am the only source of true life. And the way he provides that life, of course, is through his own death, through his own resurrection. And listen, we need to daily rely on Jesus Christ. Christ must become our daily bread. But we need to come to him in faith every day. That's why he taught us that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. I mean, being a Christian is not something that you did by uh, praying a prayer 20 years ago and then just sort of now you move on from there. No, you have to come to God daily for grace. Daily you need to bring to him your needs. Uh, You need for food, for water, for air, for support, daily bread. Uh, You need to ask him to forgive your sins, forgive us our trespasses. You need to ask him for daily protection. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Daily grace from God. Uh, That is God's answer to our desperate grumbling against him. And before we move on, we, we need to remember just how undeserved this is. Uh, we saw last week, uh, what is God's response to sinful grumbling? Well, the answer is more and more grace again and again. Uh, this doesn't give us a pass to grumble and complain, we should say. Uh, this doesn't provide us with an excuse. Uh, rather, this is a way that we can marvel, marvel at the grace of God. In other words, our own tendency to grumble should drive us back to the gospel, uh, to the heart of the gospel. And actually, this brings us on to our final point. Uh, we've considered uh, a desperate grumbling against God. And we've considered how he meets uh, our needs with daily grace from God. Uh, now, finally, uh, let's think about how all of this is designed for good. It's designed for good by God. And the point here is this. When, when things are tough, God is still in control. He, stills kn- he still knows exactly what he's doing. God still has a plan. Uh, and we have to say, amid our hunger and pain, that is the very thing we're tempted to doubt. It is tempting to believe that the challenges we face will somehow get in the way of God's plans. And in actual fact, those challenges are actually what is moving God's plan forward for us. After all, don't forget, God is the one who led Israel into this mess. In his love, he wanted them in this difficult place. In his love, he wanted them to run out of food in the wilderness. But it wasn't because he was being capricious or arbitrary. No, God did this for a very good reason. In fact, we don't have to wonder what that reason is because he tells us. He gives us two reasons right here in our text. Uh, Firstly, he did it to test them and so expose their hearts. And secondly, he did it to teach them to reveal his own amazing power and mercy. Uh, The first reason's there in verse 4. Why don't you take a look? Uh, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. I know this test relates especially to the daily bread. Uh, Will they follow God's commands about when and where to gather? Or will they go their own way? Will they reject the word of God? Will they lean on their own understanding or will they trust in God's wisdom? Uh, Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Did God already know the answer to that? Was God surprised Uh, when they gathered too much and kept it overnight, or when they went out to gather on the Sabbath? Uh, Was he shocked that they would somehow gather too much? I mean, mean, I'm not shocked. I've read enough about them to know exactly what they do. 
And if God is not surprised, we have to say, well, who exactly is this test for? Uh, Surely this was the goal, to expose the fact that that Israel uh, weren't such great people. Uh, To expose to themselves the fact that they were the kind of people who tended to to grumble and complain where things are hard. Uh, The kind of people who tended to ignore the word of God, who tended to go their own way. The kind of people who didn't rely on his daily grace in the way that they should. I wonder if that sounds familiar to you. Uh, But how do you know that about yourself? I mean, would you know your own sin and rebellion if you didn't find yourself in these situations? In this trial with bread, God exposes their greatest need. In fact, their greatest need is not a need for bread. It is a daily need for forgiveness. How kind God is to them. How loving this is. As one person has put it, he wasn't content simply to draw his people out of Egypt. I know God was committed to drawing Egypt out of his people. And so the first design, a good design of God, is to test and to expose their hearts. But, but in verse 12, we also see a second reason. Now look at verse 12. Now I think we could say this one is much more encouraging. It's much more positive. Now I've heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them, time is up. I'm going to wipe you out in the wilderness. No, it doesn't say that, thankfully. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This is actually what God had said again and again during those ten plagues. God is revealing his great power. But notice actually that that isn't how it ends. In fact, see those last two precious words. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, your God. Uh, God wants them to know that not that he is the Lord alone, that he's the only true and living God, but he wants them to know and he wants you to know that he, the maker of all things, is your God. He is your God. You belong to him. He belongs to you. As we said last week, God wants us to know that he is the one who commands the mighty waters, that he can save us, that he can meet our needs. Uh, But more than that, he wants us to know that that in Christ he is yours and you are his. Uh, And that is what the wilderness is all about. God wants to teach us what it means that he is our God and we are his people. Uh, John Calvin famously opened his uh, Institutes of Religion with, uh, with this statement. He said, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. Uh, These are the very two things that God has designed your life to teach you. In Israel's desperate grumbling against God, he wants us to see our own, uh, our own grumbling, our own sin, and acknowledge our need. And in his daily grace, he wants us to know his daily grace to us, the grace we can experience through the living Lord Jesus. And so let me come back to where we started with the building search, with the challenges you face in life, uh, with the blessings and the burden of serving as a new elder or a new deacon. Uh, Will we complain or will we cry out to God? Will we recognize his daily grace or, or will we rely on ourselves and our own resources? And even when we fail, and I should say not if, even when we fail, 
Will we submit to God's good design, a design for our good, uh, that we would learn the lessons that he's teaching? Uh, Either way, we can be confident by his grace. He will lead us home through life's wilderness. And so let's turn to him now in prayer, shall we? Let's pray. Father God, we we thank you for this uh, incredible account of your miracle and mercy to uh, Israel in the wilderness. And we know, Lord, it is a picture of an even greater grace you've shown to each one of us in the Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, we pray that you would uh, keep us from grumbling, keep us from complaining. Lord, cause our hearts to cry out to you. Lord, help us to rely on your daily grace. Lord, and even when we don't, even when we fail, reassure us again and again of your great mercy. Lord, help each one of us to turn to you, to know you more and more, even to know ourselves. And Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.